Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parikh, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The Future of Application Security. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Kevin Page with us on this podcast. Kevin and I have known each other for several years now. And I've been looking forward to this podcast because Kevin comes with a sort of different background and seniority than a lot of other guests that we've had here. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Rachel, thanks for having me. All right. So before we go too far, Kevin, I'd love to have our audience just get a preview into what your career has been. How did you get into security and what do you do today? Yeah, sounds good. The, I've been doing security for a long, long time now, probably over 25 years. So and I think that the only way that you could have really gotten in security 25 years ago, there's probably only a couple of ways you could have done it. And my particular way was I was in the military, so I was in the Air Force. Um, and when I was in the Air Force, I originally started out doing physical security and law enforcement. That led to investigations, that led to a little bit of understanding about the crimes, and then that led to me moving into kind of what we called computer operations back in the day, full time. And then funny enough story is that uh, when I went into computer operations, because I used to do, I did physical security for kind of the first three years of my life. They're like, hey, you're a security guy. We got these firewalls and we've got all this stuff that we have to do. So here you go ahead and take these firewalls and like go figure some stuff out. So and I was like, all right. And then, you know, I used a lot of my expertise around like building training programs in the very beginning, right? So we wanted to make sure that we figured out like like figuring out how to use back then was a Sidewinder firewall, like Sidewinder firewalls were super complex back in the day. I don't know if they even still exist. I think they do. I think McAfee bought secure computing and Sidewinders out. But Sidewinders back in the day were awesome. They were like the first layer seven firewall doing split DNS with them. Everything was bind BSD and managing everything, everything coming in and out of Air Force bases using those layer seven firewalls back before like layer seven firewalls were a real thing. So learned a lot of information there and then learned a lot of big focuses on networking, networking security back then, wireless security. Back Back then, taking a look at, you know, password rotations and war dialing, right? Because every computer had a modem in it and uh, modems were how people were getting into our base networks because people were plugged into the modem and people were plugged into the network. And you don't hear too many people talking about having a, a giant bank of uh, modems and doing a uh, war dialing attacks anymore, but doing war dialing attacks and using loft crack against our Windows NT environment back in the day to make sure people weren't using bad passwords and so started out with kind of very, very much on the kind of physical side with kind of a combination of kind of offense, defense mind. And then uh, stayed in the Air Force active duty like 12 years and just continued to grow and get promoted and take on bigger, bigger, bigger responsibilities across various capabilities in the Air Forces, especially as a security became a thing, right? Because there was no such word as cybersecurity back when I started, right? So and then from there, I was stationed at Travis Air Force Base in California, and I wanted to go to Silicon Valley. I was like, hey, I'm going to get out of this government thing. I'm going to go into Silicon Valley because it's not too far away from where that Air Force Base was. And then I tried to get out. And then they're like, hey, you've got high-level clearances. The government wants you to be a consultant. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll do it. You know, 
And it was pretty fun. So I consulted for the Army Corps of Engineers, and which was pretty cool. They were responsible for all the waterways and dams. And I don't know how all of Sacramento isn't under about 50 feet of water with the security, the modems that were used to <laughs> close our dams. Like it was uh, quite scary and quite hilarious. And, uh, and then moved on to other government jobs, working for the Undersecretary of the Army for Business Transformation and uh, with a real focus on helping the government create, create, create and use modern technologies to help get off mainframes and help get off a lot lots of capabilities on the business side. So help modernize finance systems, help modernize program management, help modernize anything. Arlington National Cemetery, like how people will get buried, like all of these like very interesting high level capabilities, like let's work with startups, let's work with, with new young modern technologies, let's figure out how to do service-oriented architecture using XML, like how to do all of these things. And that got me working with a lot of startups, and a lot of capabilities there. And uh, eventually became a civil service employee and ran multiple data centers from a a technical operations perspective, as well as a security perspective. And then eventually I was like, I'm getting into Silicon Valley and I'm going to go work at a little startup. And then I finally did it. I went and worked for a little startup doing their security and their kind of technical operations stuff and kind of helping turn them into a cloud capability from a non-cloud capability to a cloud service. And then from there, I went to Salesforce and did similar work. And then MuleSoft, their kind of first CISO and kind of helped bring them public. And then I wanted another high growth startup. And then I ended up at Flexport and seeing all IT and security and kind of technical operations here as well. And that's been a super fun journey. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, that was a great trip down the memory lane, you know, loft crack and bank of modems and stuff like that. I remember the time when I always used to carry a jacket in my backpack, as you never know when you have to go to a data center, right? It's, uh, it's always it's cold. cold in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, always had a jacket. Exactly. Yeah. So one interesting thing is like back in the day when I started my career, security was always a part of the CIO function. The C-level, the most senior of the chain of the command would be a CIO typically, and security would be a part of it. Now what we are seeing a, a more recent trend over the past few years has been that companies are hiring CISOs and handing them CIO responsibilities, right? So it's sort of like reversed in a way in terms of what's the primary function and what's the sort of the add-on responsibility. What's your thought on it? I think you are in a similar position at Flexport, correct? Yeah, I've been in a similar position a couple of times. But yeah, at Flexport specifically, I built out all the IT and security capabilities here at Flexport. I think that a lot of times security is consulting, is helping, is but we're usually consulting and helping after the fact, right? Hey, we already implemented something and we didn't really think about any of these security things. And then then we have issues and we have problems, right? And then we have to figure out like how to Frankenstein a solution together to like reduce the amount of risk that was exposed based on how it was implemented. And I think that there's tons of problems in that area and when you implement things and prioritizing the implementation of capabilities. And I think that especially like CISOs that come from very technical backgrounds, like they, they've been there, they've done that, they've done all the consulting in the world so much so that they can like almost provide playbooks like, hey, like problem number one, let's fix authentication. We're going to need to get SSO in place. We're going to need to get SAML in place. Like we're going to need to fix authorization. We're going to need to fix logging, right? And as we're implementing it, let's do it right as best we can in the beginning instead of just slapping some stuff together really quickly. Because the reality is, to do something right or to do something with a security mindset, I won't say right, right? That's a, people can decide what's right and what's not right. But to do something with a security mindset to, as a risk reduction measure, like it doesn't have to take a whole lot of extra time. Like if you right. think about the beginning, it could take a couple extra days, a couple extra weeks to get it done right. You could put governance in place, change management in place in the beginning, and then really think about automating it from the very beginning instead of having to uh, 
slap something together real quick that isn't done very well. And then you pretty much have to burn it down and, and recreate it because that would be faster than fixing it. So I think with CISOs taking over those CIO responsibilities, you just, you get that mindset, right? You get that mindset. And I think the, probably the most troublesome thing that I think that CISOs that take that role have to think about is those that CIO was more business savvy than technically savvy. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure you figure out like, hey, how can I make sure that I'm part of the business and not just this technical geek that people just ask questions to and I give you all the cool technical answers, right? Like, I need to be part of the business. I need to be able to figure out, like, how am I giving updates on what we're doing? How am I showing the impact of what security is doing, both to reduce risk and to help enable the business? Because we can do both. Like, they're not mutually exclusive if you're thinking about it in an end-to-end perspective and you're not thinking about each thing in isolation. Yeah, that's a fantastic insight. I think it's very easy to miss that insight, but it's actually really important is a CIO role has been around for decades and it has matured significantly where they are considered a senior executive role and they know how to operate at that level. CISOs are getting to that seniority now, I guess, in the past few years with board level presence and some of those things, right? Yeah, and I think even with the CISO, right, it's tough, right? Because people will just throw the term CISO, right? You might be a senior manager. Oh, you're a senior manager. And because you're the only security guy or the most senior security guy, you're the CISO, right? Right. But you never hear in finance, somebody say the VP of finance is the CFO. There's a clear, like, you're not the CFO unless you are the chief financial officer, right? And yeah. in the security world, like the term CISO is very loosey-goosey thrown around. And we have to figure out like how to not get it so loosey-goosey and actually get it so that it sticks and it has meaning. And there's a certain level of years of responsibility to get that role. And you can be a senior manager or a director and be amazing head of security. But I think there is a difference between a head of security and a CISO. And in, in our industry and amongst us in the community, like we should acknowledge it and not just be worried about getting promoted really quickly, right? So yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the topics that I'm actually excited to talk about today is that senior leadership view, like how do you do strategy? How do you do planning? How do you do data-driven decision-making in the world of security? And we may be able to focus a little bit more on product security, AppSec and whatnot. But that's one of the topics I'd love to talk about. But before we actually go there, I mean, just continuing the trend of how things have changed over a period of time, I think we were talking about this earlier, which is the term application security, which used to mean scanning applications and running scanners and finding vulnerabilities and all of those things has transformed into slightly different things or maybe completely different things, depending on your company and your culture. to hear your thoughts on what you had seen as application security before and what does the future look like for that now? Yeah, I mean, kind of watching the evolution over time, application security, we're great at like bug hunting and finding issues and finding problems, but they were never great at telling you or providing advice on how to fix the things, right? They could find things, but they weren't sure how to fix them. And it was always after the fact, right? Hey, you deploy some stuff and I'll scan it three months later, or I will just randomly scan some stuff with scanning tools or maybe you know, write my own scripts and hit your APIs up or look at the infrastructure or look at the vulnerabilities in your in your software supply chain, all those types of things. And I think that just over time, a lot of those things are getting commodity right now, right? Like, hey, back when there wasn't a Google, you know, if you wanted to be an AppSec person, like you needed to figure out how to use tools yourself and you need to get amazing at them. And you needed to know a little bit of scripting. You need to be a little bit of a Python guy, maybe a Ruby Ruby person, but help find stuff, right? These days, the tools are commodity, right? They're everywhere. There's so many tools, like it's like almost overwhelming to, to, to see what tool that you want to use as an AppSec person. 
So I, I see since AppSec is getting commodity, the next evolution is really focused on more end-to-end, more product security related, where people are getting involved early in the architecture phase, like, hey, let's figure out how to secure something before it gets deployed, at least a minimal viable security level. And let's work at like building some of the commodity automations into our CICD. Let's build some of the commodity stuff into automations that run either external surface protection tools, right? There's all these tools that can do a lot of the stuff that you needed an AppSec person who only knew how to use those tools to do. And you don't need that anymore, I don't think, right? I think that that is a level, right, in your career that you use, learn to use those tools, learn to automate those tools. And then everybody should hopefully want to increase their career and get to that level of either like really being great at product security, where application security is just a piece of it, right? Because yeah. product security, I see more end to end, right? Like, I'm going to help define the architecture. I'm going to help define, I'm going to help review and help give guidance on the implementation. And then I'm going to help the teams like build some tests and do some validations to make sure that things are set up the right way. And you're kind of looking at it more end to end in this product security lens. And a lot of the application security stuff I see just falling into the kind of vulnerability management, right? Because right. Um, we're using tools, we're finding vulnerabilities, um, and then we're making sure we either fix them or we make sure that we find who the owner is and we get them to fix them based on SLAs, et cetera, right? So, right. So, so when you're looking to hire somebody in that team, let's say somebody who spent a lot of time in application security is really good at pen testing, finding bugs, running tools, really good software security person. What are the skills that you want to see in that person when you're looking for somebody for that next level of evolution, somebody who could be a really good product security person? What does that person need to have? Yeah, I think that a lot of it, if you're good at AppSec and we talk about this with a team from a career ladder perspective is that, you know, we talk about on my team, like stop starting to want to stop using the application security term and make everybody product security, right? Because you're focused on securing our products, right? So uh, not just applications, right? You're more, I think product is a more inclusive term of all of the things that we want to secure and not just an individual application. So I think words matter sometimes and, and having that idea of product security there. And I think that trying to find this unicorn product security person that can do all the things is probably, it's tough right now. And I think it's tough in general because there's very few people that have had the opportunity to get those level of experience to get there. So a lot of times what we do is is just like a baseball team, right? We need some first baseman, we need some second baseman, we need some third baseman, and they need to, to cross-train each other and, and grow and evolve into that, that product security person. So what we like to do when we're building teams is just find a variety of, you know, from the security engineering umbrella, is find a variety of people and bring them together under a product, under kind of this idea of product security and kind of evolve into that product security level, right? Get everybody involved in running the tools, get everybody involved in our architecture reviews of product capabilities, get everybody involved in when we find issues, what we do to fix them, right? Get that whole team involved in cross-training each other to help grow into that next level. Because we have to make these type of, of, of people by giving them the right level of experience to get there. And I think that, you know, as leaders, as my job is to really hopefully have the vision and foresight to see that, see the world's the cloud, the world is is all these open source libraries that everybody uses to secure stuff and all these APIs that exist and everybody is putting these things all together, calling it a platform and people are running stuff on top of it. And how do we make sure that we've got the capabilities to secure the applications and the products end to end, the infrastructure end to end, and then provide a good umbrella over the top of that, right? I generally just generalize that as like a security engineering function, making sure that the, all those things are in place. Right. Uh, but that's kind of how I look at it. 
Yeah. So effectively, beyond just the security aspects, the person would have to know a little bit of a lot of things, things like how does the cloud work? How does AWS work? Especially because if you're doing threat modeling or architecture reviews end to end, you got to know how this piece of code, how this architecture will actually exist. What are the other components that it's interacting with? Probably would want to know some sort of programming language platforms, especially if you're looking at the differences between how NPM works versus how Java or how does C, C++ work or Python, Ruby, all of that. So you got to be familiar with a lot of different things. So more expanding the skill set more towards the cloud and obviously more developer-focused, developer-centric and the architecture that ties everything together. So you got to be more up-leveled into those skills, correct? Exactly, right? Because like I said, you're building a team, right? So like I've got a guy on our team who's an amazing Java developer and he really understands secure Java development and he understands the cloud a little bit. And then we've got some cloud guys that are amazing securing the cloud. And then we've got some other guys that are amazing AppSec tooling guys. And those guys work together on our architecture reviews, right? And each of them is looking at it from a different angle, right? But it's the holistic kind of end-to-end that we need. And over time of those guys working together, they all start to develop each other's skills. Um, right. They, they get a little bit, they understand because they've seen the same things. They hear the more software developer-focused kind of a, a security engineer, like really looking at certain things, asking why they're not using certain libraries, asking them why the config is in the code and the config's not out. And then then the other teams, obviously, we're writing this stuff down and we've got an architecture checklist. And then the other team members start to really understand like, oh, okay, this is what we're worried about from a code perspective. And the guy who's more focused on Java development is like, oh, yeah, this is how IAM profiles work and how they can tie together to how things get it, right? So so like I said, you got to bring a team together because right. it's like one unicorn person to be able to solve all the problems is, is unrealistic. Over time, they cross-pollinate and that cross-pollination starts to create these like really great product security individuals down the road, right? And I think yeah. it's all about building, right? Helping people get the right experience and evolving to this product security world, I think, personally. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of teams find really good success in hiring developers or SRE people or cloud engineers and training them on security and bringing them onto the security team. Since, in my opinion, it's it's relatively easier for a developer to become a security professional as compared to a pure play career security person to learn about development. So that's an interesting career trajectory that I've seen many teams take quite a bit. An interesting thing that I did at Flexport, first time I've ever done this, is that when we were setting up our SOC security operations function and SRE function, they're both 100% focused on incident management, incident response, right? They're you know, in different aspects of it, making sure that production is safe from either from a reliability perspective or an availability perspective, which there's a lot of overlap between those capabilities, as well as the kind of integrity and and, and authentication and those capabilities. So I had the SRE team and kind of the original kind of security operations team working together, working under the same leader to help build out incident response end to end and build all the automations around incident response and start to bring those things together because they're so tightly coupled and they're both very hard to find people with those skill sets. So, right. so if it's going to take a long time to hire both and they both really have the same North Star, then let's bring them together to work together to help solve some of those issues earlier on rather than everybody operating in isolation and then having those problems. So so I think there's like tons of overlap that we can do as we like embed security and reliability and availability mindsets into the team. And then hopefully they can consult and, and embed that level of thought process into your engineering teams or your IT teams or whatever, right? But it's yeah, got to bring teams together. We're building teams here, right? We're not building. Right. I just don't think we can't have a bunch of people operating in isolation. Otherwise, things just take forever to get done. 
Yeah, you're 100% right. I mean, I think there's another similar example of security engineering teams, and you might call it differently, but really it's a team of developers who are building security features for the rest of the dev teams, right? So things like building a secrets management system or building standard crypto libraries, or you have secure defaults and secure frameworks and all of those things to make it available as a service to the rest of the dev teams. Uh, that's sort of like an, an, an intersection between development and security where you're building security-specific features internally. Exactly, exactly. And, and there's certain things that you want to have expertise in, right? Like, like, do you want somebody who's never done crypto trying to configure and, and develop a crypto capability inside a software product? Probably not, right? Like, even things like IAM, where you're building an authorization or authentication framework, like your general kind of feature developers like are going to find that boring as hell, right? So you got to make sure you find the right people you know, that, that are excited about like, oh, like, I want to talk about, you know, Zacamole. I want to talk about these different types of authorization frameworks for APIs. Like you, you want to find people that are excited about that. Right. Um, and that's usually a very special type of feature developer, security engineering type developer than it yeah. is just kind of your general software developer, right? So, right. yeah. So all of this, there's just so much fragmentation. There's scope of what used to be application security or in some cases still is now. But keeping terminologies aside, the current world of securing software infrastructure has been so fragmented. There's just so many things you can and should be doing. I'm curious, how do you wrap your head around all of that and put a cohesive strategy together? Because especially now, I mean, we're in November of 2022 and a lot of people are planning for 2023. People are in this stage of building their roadmaps and building out budgets and figuring out headcounts and all of that stuff. So when, I don't want to ask about the specifics of the strategy, but more about like, how do you actually think about yearly planning and what are the some of the processes that you have your teams follow? in coming from a top-level strategy to more of a tactical, actionable thing? Yeah, so I've developed a process over the years. And what we do and is I generally come up with an 18-month roadmap. So I think five-year roadmaps are silly, personally, because like who, like the world changes so quickly. Businesses change so quickly. I think five years is just silly, right? I mean, three years, more realistic. But I think like if you really want to focus on getting stuff done, you focus on a 12 to 18. Uh, 12 because you want overlap, right? Because like right now we've kicked off our 2023 planning in my team and I like to do 18, right? But hopefully we're done and we can easily slide some stuff over on our 18 month roadmap into our 2023 roadmap and get to a good spot. And I think that when you're building your roadmaps or taking a look at risk, we're taking a look at gaps, we're taking a look at where we've had security issues and incidents. And generally what I do is wrap it around major themes. And then in those themes, what we do is we figure out like, hey, in this particular theme of something that we want to do, whether it's getting better at, providing a capability to do trusted access or getting a way to tie governance, risk, and classification into our authentication workflows or whatever they may be based on what the business is trying to get done, where the business says we're moving too slow for them, or where we intentionally are taking on a ton of risk on purpose because we don't want to slow the business down. But you know, in parallel, we're trying to make sure that we can minimize it without, without slowing the business down. So those three things, those themes that you set for the next year, that has to be very, very close to the business priorities, right? So whether what is it the business asking you for things or how you can enable the business or managing the risk, right? So around some of those areas, uh, you figure out what the top level themes are. Any, any thoughts on how many themes is a good number? Is it three? Is it 20? Is it five? What's your personal take? Depends on how big your team is, right? So I would say depends how big your team is. And make sure that your, what's the metaphor? Make sure your eyes aren't bigger than your stomach is, right? Because usually everybody's got 
good ideas and they want to do a thousand things. And then you have to be like, come on, guys, like, let's be realistic. You have three people on the team. We'll probably only be able to get 10 things done, not a thousand. So let's prioritize those things, create a great backlog, prioritize those 10 things, bucket those things that are like together, and then figure out how we can actually get that done. Maybe we need to bring in some consulting resources. Maybe we need to hire. But the big thing is that we need to talk about is what is the impact of those things to the business, right? How are we reducing risk and enabling the business at the same time? And how does the business know that? Like, how are we going to show it? And then how do we know that we're going to be successful, right? What measure or KPI are we going to use that we know that we're on track and we're not just randomly working on the next shiny thing and never actually getting anything across the finish line, right? And then how do we take a look at that? So that's how I start out the year with those like, um, I think this year I've got six major themes as we go into 2023 and I've done pre-planning and identified what those themes are. Next week, I'm actually doing an offsite with all the managers and above to get down to what are the major initiatives that are going to flow into those themes and mm. how are we going to measure if those initiatives are successful. So that's what I do for the 12 to 18 months. And then, hey, the world is agile. I said 18 months is probably more reasonable than three or five years. So what do we do? Every quarter, we evaluate how well we did the previous quarter and what are we going to do the next quarter? Are we going to carry something forward? Are we going to bring in a new project based on shifts in the business, based on shifts in the world, right? But like, hey, was there just some you know, want for J, was there just some crazy new vulnerability that came out that we need to make sure that we figure out how to like make sure that we're more proactive on this next year? So we might need to reprioritize, but but we reprioritize or not every quarter, yeah. but every quarter we come into the quarter with a couple of things, right? We prioritize, right? I tell every team we use like a priority zero through two action, right? And P zeros are things that we're gonna get done that quarter. P1s are things that we're gonna get some of it done that quarter. And then like P2s are stretch goals. Like, hey, if we can get all of our P0s done and some of our P1s, then we'll work on our P2s. So, and P0s, we take a look at our headcount, how many people we have, and we take a look at the priority of it to try to make sure that people don't take on too much work early on and we get work done. And then we start on those P0s. Like, hey, those P0s, you promised me, you promised the business, I promised the business that we're going to get those done. So like, there's no excuse for not getting those P0s done. And we try to make sure there's like, one per team or two per team, like not a ton of those top priorities to make yeah. sure we get done. Then we measure. And then I provide quarterly business reviews that talk about, hey, this is all the stuff we said we were going to do. This is what we got done. Here are our lessons learned, right? Like about trying to get this stuff done. And then we brief all the leadership team of the business. And on the very big impacting thing, we'll escalate those into our board essays and make sure the board knows about those types of things. That's awesome. I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned. So you said those top level themes, and then you mentioned that you're going to go offsite with managers and above and talk about what are the initiatives. Now, that specific discussion, is that initiatives for the rest of the the next 12 to 18 months? Or is it the initiatives for the next quarter? What does that look like? So this is annual planning. So this is planning for the next 12 to 18 months. So this is our annual 2023 planning. So we're going to come up with the big, we've got a big process. We use JIRA, right? So we're going to kind of, we're going to define our epics. Mm. Second, right? So we're going to define our epics. We're probably going to define some of our, some of our users, our stories for that epic stuff that we already know, or stuff that moved from quarter to quarter that we didn't quite get done or things like that. And then in December, we'll do our Q1 planning and our Q1 planning will be based on the epics and the initiatives for 2023 that we want to get done. And then ideally, the team goes through and decides what they want to do with their leader. And then we all come together and then say like, yes, from a business perspective, this makes sense. This makes sense. Hey, let's get some better measures here. Like, why is this important? Like, we'll have those conversations. No, then ideally, hopefully before before January starts, we're at a good spot. I mean, sometimes it goes into with holidays, right? It gets crazy. Right. 
Yeah, so that decision of what are the initiatives that are needed to meet those themes that you've defined, that's when I'm guessing is also the discussions around headcount and budget and all of those things will also happen. So you you threw up all of those things together, make sure this is sort of realistic. And then before the start of every quarter, you take those initiatives or epics that have been already defined and you convert them into quarterly objectives and the KPIs. You got it. Exactly right. Awesome. How do you, what are the processes that you have? So you mentioned before start of the quarter, you talk about what are the objectives for the quarter? What are the success criteria? Are there other things or next levels of granularity that your team follows through in terms of taking those KPIs and converting them into like sprint-based objectives or how does your team manage that? They do, yeah. So the teams operate on two-week sprints and uh, how we operate is that I've got like all the major functions have got a TPM and the TPM helps make sure that the epics are in place and make sure that the measures are in place and that the measures working with the managers and the directors to make sure that the work is getting updated and that the sprints are all operating, right? And then the TPMs are really raising the reporting up to me so that the managers and the directors can focus on getting the work done. And the TPMs are focused on making sure that the user stories are in place, that the cross, right, right? There's always some kind of cross-functional collaboration that needs to happen to make sure that, that either we know that somebody needs help from us or that other people know that we're going to have expectations on something related to security and uh, to make sure that those relationships and those capabilities are there. And, uh, and then we operate with that type of, that type of a thought process. Fantastic. And then by the end of the quarter, I think you were mentioning that you do a QBR, quarterly business reviews on security as well. Tell me a little bit about that. Like who is it for and who presents and how long is it? Even that level of tactical things. Yeah. So how we do it currently is we'll make the meeting will probably be like an hour and 15 minutes. And then what we do is the first 15 minutes, everybody reads the doc who's invited. And I invite to the quarterly one, all the leadership in our technology organization. And then if there's any, you know, well, I guess what we call our senior leadership team. Like, if there's any things that we're doing on security that uh, that affect them, we make sure that they're invited too, so that they can read the document, comment on the document, and then what we do is we go through each section and then I oversee it, and then have the leaders there. And then what we'll do is, if there's some like juicy things in there, and there always is, that we make sure that we we I'll do another thing with the exec team, and then I'll do a briefing with them with the exec team that show we do like an executive QBR that like picks out like the biggest risks or the hot topics or the biggest issues that we have and make sure that they're up to speed on how that happened that quarter, how did hiring go that quarter, how did spending go that quarter, as well as just the like, what are our biggest risks and what have we been doing to solution them, right? And then everything out of there, the exec team always asks a ton of questions and anything from there, what we do is we do our quarterly board updates and then we'll copy and paste like the good stuff out of there and put it in the quarterly board updates on how security's done. That's phenomenal. That's a very, very disciplined process. I'm guessing having a, a program management function helps quite a bit with that discipline, right? Yeah, without the without the program management function, I wouldn't be able to do it, right? It's, it would take, I mean, all the managers would have to spend half their time like putting this stuff together. And then that's half the time that we're not getting work done, right? So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. that's phenomenal. When do you think is the right time to build this kind of discipline? So let's imagine as somebody just starting a security team, maybe they have a couple of engineers. At what level does this become important? I personally think that it can be important from the very beginning. You just don't have to be a structured, right? Like start mm-hmm. out see goosey, right? Like, Come out with like, after you do your assessment, do your risk assessment, you know, you'll be able to see really closely like, oh crap, every single person in the company has root access to every single server and in production and access to all the data. Like we got to fix that problem. Like that's our number one problem to fix, right? And then let's break it down to how we're going to fix it. And then let the business know or let whoever your boss is know, uh, whether you report to the CTO or VP of engineering or whoever you report to, I'm assuming technology here because we're talking about AppSec. And then let them know like, hey, like 
here's the things that we really need to do a better job of. Here's what we need to get through. Like, here's what I'm going to define my success criteria on. Because then you can have like good conversations with the leader. Otherwise, you're just like saying like, oh, it's very bad if people have admin access, right? And I'm going to say, well, why? Like, what's so bad about it? Let's just take it off the internet. It'll be fine, right? So, so you're going to have those like little nitpicky arguments. You're going to have those little like painful conversations. But if you can be like, write a nice little document that identifies like in big areas, the things you need to do, why you need to do them and what your success criteria is to get there to let them know that you're not trying to like be painful, not trying to take anything away. You're just trying to reduce risk and trying to meet compliance objectives and do that type of activity. And I think that if you can do that, like you can do it, like if you're a three person team, like you should still identify what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And then over time, you can get more disciplined and then do quarterly and do all these other things. Right. But just start it out easy. Don't overthink it, right? Just, but definitely have something written down because you're going to want to explain to people what you did and how you got it done. And it's a great kind of learning journey, I think. Yeah, that's a phenomenal way to get started. And having already talked about what the gold standard looks like, I'm actually incredibly happy with all the things that we talked about in this at the strategic level, at the tactical level and everything in between that. Kevin, thank you so much for spending time here. I love this conversation. I really hope we'll bring you back after you're done with your 2023 planning and and things like that. We can do a retrospective on this maybe. Thank you again for your time, Kevin. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.